Okay, so what I'm hearing is it's not really a competitive technique one to the other. It's just it has different use cases. And when you are in the exploratory phase, IF and the more markers you can explore, the higher the chance of extracting meaningful information is. And once you have that, then you explore other methods to deploy it at scale. Because as we said at the beginning, IF is challenging. <laughs> Learn about the newest digital pathology trends in science and industry, meet the most interesting people in the niche, and gain insights relevant to your own projects. Here is where pathology meets computer science. You are listening to the Digital Pathology Podcast with your host, Dr. Alexandra Zhurov. Welcome, everyone, to the podcast. Today, I'm going to be talking to Lorenz Rognoni. He is the director of image data science at Altview. And Altview is a company specializing in spatial biology. And image analysis and image data science is an integral component of spatial biology. In the classical biomarker work, you can still get away with visual evaluation, maybe one marker, two marker, bright fields. But when it comes to multiplex immunofluorescence, that's no longer the case. So welcome Lawrence to the podcast. How are you today? Yeah, thanks. First of all, thanks for having me here. It's really a pleasure to be here, your guest, and talk about this fantastic topic, spatial biology, and how you can explore it with multiplex immunofluorescence. Yeah, I'm brilliant. I'm very well. Fantastic. So today I want to ask you just a few questions. First of all, what special challenges do multiplex immunofluorescence impose when it comes to image analysis? My audience is more or less familiar with the bright field image analysis with analyzing IHC markers, singleplex, maybe doubleplex. What challenges do we encounter, do you encounter in your everyday work when it comes to multiplex IF? Okay, very good question. Also a broad one. Maybe let's start. Yeah, you can narrow it down to the three most difficult (laughs) challenges. I know that you can count them for an hour, but like when somebody's starting doing multiplex IF, or let's say they would want to order multiplex IF images, place a study at Altview, but maybe do their own image analysis, what do they need to think about? Yeah, and let me start with a, a few words about how I got into this field because I think it also explains what capabilities you need and then we can dive into the challenges why you need these capabilities to actually tackle these challenges. From a training perspective, I'm a physicist and then went into biophysics. So taking the methods developed in physics to quantify biology, and that's what really drives me. How can you quantify biology? I spent a PhD in experimental biophysics but then wanted to work closer to patient data. And that's how I got into the field of digital pathology or computational pathology. But I wanted to have, let's say, the best possible tool to extract as much information as you can. That's what brought me to multiplex immunofluorescence, where you can really create a very high dimensional data set and then really assess a lot of information which yeah, is embedded in tissue. But you asked about the challenges and we are looking... Yes, at, before yeah. we dive into that full disclosure, we used to work together at an image analysis company and we used to work together on multiplex IF projects and now Lawrence is doing this full time. So he's an expert. Yeah, that's true. We yeah we worked on a company specialized in image analysis and they are also in multiplex immunofluorescence. I also then spent quite some time doing that for a big biopharma. And one of my goals or what really drives me is how can we make MIF 
And the analysis of MIF, so robust that you can apply it on large scale in clinical trials and then really guide your decision making and then really increase the success rate in clinical trials. But yeah, <laughs> back to the challenges. It's done on tissue and therefore we also face the classical histology challenges, being it tissue preparation artifacts or like more mechanical artifacts like folds, bubbles, or also tissue morphology like necrosis. Of course, we have the whole chemistry like antibody that can have unspecific staining and so on. So that's, I would say, like the common basis, independent of right field or like monoplex and high multiplex. And I mean, everyone who works in the field, you as well, know that tissue has an incredible heterogeneity. So it can come from different parts of the body. If you do translational work, even from different species, you can have different indications. And this can create a huge variability in tissue organization morphologies or cellular morphologies, densely packed very sparse, and this can create a lot of difficulty if you want to describe this with automated methods. And I think that's also the main reason that histology is, has a, still a very classic approach to look at the image, have the highly trained expert try to extract the embedded information, which I think still works very well on, let's say, the classic H&E stain, or as you said, the, the bright field, the monoplex. But as soon as you go to high dimensional data, you get this high dimensionality component on top, which means we add a lot of channels. If you use IF, you start to look at yeah, dark images. So very often the expert is not trained on this kind of type of image. So you have also to learn this new way of looking at. You often have a very different dynamic range. It's way more linear. That means you can have very light signal and very strong signal. You can have such a big bandwidth that you can't really look at it on a screen. You, know, you have to somehow um, scroll through the intensities. And again, this is something where computers, machines can really help. But of course, you want to not have them do errors. You want to help your, your let's say, exploration. Mm -hmm. I remember because it's like you say, you have to verify, you have to help. But when I was working on IF projects, in contrast to Brightfield, to confirm that the signal is coming from the right part of the tissue or to confirm the segmentation or anything that was done in the image analysis, the exercise was multiple by the number of markers. So for every markers, I had to do it. And obviously by the mm -hmm. third marker, you don't remember how this image looks on the first marker. So it's a good strategy to confirm, to do QC, but it's definitely not scalable for visual evaluation. Yeah, that's a good observation. So when you say we have one IF image and nowadays, depending on technology, you can also end up with 40 markers. Yeah, you can Again, make artwork with this, like with all the rainbow colors you can have. Yeah, which means it's not one image, it's many images, because also as a human, I think you can distinguish easily three colors, maybe more, but then you create a new image, selecting the channels, depending on the cell type you want to explore. But then putting everything together is for human observers incredibly difficult. So you have multiple dimensionality, let's say, challenges. So one is the channel dimensionality, so you have more than your RGB channel or your normal color viewing that you're trained on, but you really have this multitude of information that you can selectively look at and do that very well, but putting it together is really a challenge. So there, I think having a good yeah, image analysis strategy is mandatory. Of course, if you look at tissue, you can have like large resections with millions of cells. So you get also a lot of heterogeneity, as we said. So you can get a lot of spatial, let's say, dimensionality on top. And looking at all the cells on such a huge area is also for a human a very demanding task. So it's easy to overlook, let's say, a rare, let's say, phenotype 
that maybe is the one you are actually interested in. That's another component which is difficult. So again, high dimensionality is really for the human observer a big challenge, but not only for the human, also for the computer, because these images, they get extremely large. We usually have images scanned with 12 or 16 bits or even 32. So it's way larger per channel. Then you have multiple channels and maybe you have the large resection and a whole slide image. So you can end up with 100 gigabyte of, for one image. Is it a lot bigger than a bright field H&E, like one IF? How would you compare the size? Twice, three times? Yeah, so bright field H&E, you rarely go beyond a gigabyte. So you have Mm -hmm. three channels, but only in 8-bit. You also often have better compression and so on. So they're way smaller and all the software is optimized for these three channels. So that's the other part. And yeah, what I wanted to say before is that you need specialized data, specialized hardware for data storage, and then also for the computation. And There nowadays, I mean, you have two ways. I think the ideal way is to really go into the cloud and then use scalable data and computation solution there. Or you are lucky and you're working in a company with a huge data center and can do that locally with a high performance compute cluster. But these are the two ways to approach really large data sets of MIF data. Doing that only locally on a computer, yeah, it's a little fun. Yeah. You're going to be spending a day working on one image, maybe. Yeah, I was talking about the dimensionality in the spatial, let's say, a component. And there are millions of cells, and that's where really image analysis is key. So if you want to do spatial phenomics or spatial biology exploration, you need to get all the cells and all the phenotypes in their location. In theory, like for an H&E, you could have classification approach where you say responder versus non-responder. But if you want to go into this really high dimensional spatial biology, you have to get all these cells. And that's where you need certainly computer-based image analysis. And that's also one of the challenges. So get accurate segmentation of either tissue regions, if you want to distinguish between tumor and stroma areas, for instance, or then down to the individual cells. So getting really every single cell and then deciding for every cell in your panel, is it a positive cell or not? And this is embedded in the usual, let's say, artifacts where you can have background coming from tissue preparation, from, let's say, biological effects like autofluorescence causing red blood cells. So many different, let's say, additional challenges are there. And then, of course, we can also spend some time talking about immunofluorescence signal and the variability that we often observe there. Question here. Would you even now, after working so much in this space, is there even still a place for bright field if you're serious about spatial biology or not really? Or like in which to which extent is there a space for bright field and when would you need to change to multiplex IF to have reliable and valuable data? I think the theme is there. You need the right tool for your job. And definitely like the high dimensionals spatial biology approach is a very exploratory approach. So if you want to find, if we are now thinking of cancer, I don't know, in which indication are certain markers expressed, or if you want to stratify patients or whatever. So if you really want to explore mechanism of action and so on. So when you need the maximum information, then I think that's a tool to go. And there are also multiple other omic techniques that then can also join in and you can combine them to really maximize your information there. Once you have a clear idea, for instance, what type of biomarkers can help you stratify a patient population in a larger clinical trial. I think that's a time where you then uh, should dial down, which could be still in IF, having less markers, 
for instance, we like to reduce the complexity, especially then if you think of data mining afterwards, the more parameters you have, the more crowded your parameter space is and the more complex the whole analysis becomes. So if you can make it simpler, you have also to deal with less noise. And then maybe it's even the best because honestly, they are just more robust. And if you can find an IHC or even an H&E morphology, then can surrogate this signature for your patient certification, then you should do that right field because it's just more robust. If we think large clinical trial, multi-center, and the labs that they have there. It's just the way to go. And I think that's key. So also having this transition then from the very high plex to the then very focused single plex. Maybe. Okay, so what I'm hearing is it's not really a competitive technique one to the other. It's just, it has different use cases. And when you are in the exploratory phase, IF and the more markers you can explore, the higher the chance of extracting meaningful information is. And once you have that, then you explore other methods methods to deploy it at scale, because as we said at the beginning, IF is challenging. <laughs> and if we can reduce the uh, how challenging the method is when you already have the insights, then of course you can deploy it in less stable conditions, which we know that clinical trial conditions are not always the most stable conditions. So you want to have the most robust method. Okay, Lawrence, you are the image data science director, right? So where are the greatest pitfalls on the transition from generating from image analysis to analyzing this data that might make this effort less meaningful? What are the problems that you can encounter? Something that can happen like a mistake or something that can cause your downstream analysis to not provide value and how to mitigate this? That's the most important question. Where do we need to be aware of things that can go wrong? We call the team where we do the analysis, the image data science team, because it's it's really for many people the image analysis part is getting all the cells but then it's not stopping there you then also have to decide which ones are the good cells then define the biological relevant phenotypes and then make sense of this data because again on the image we have millions of cells but then depending on the size of your trial you have way lower patient number which means then the subsequent data mining is of a different dimensionality and then should also be treated differently so the question is how can we extract from these millions of cells very good like the best possible information and on one hand you want to boil it down ideally to one number let's say to have a certain score for a certain phenotype but that often goes via as we said first getting all the cells then classifying them into positive negative for every marker and then again defining the phenotype so that means you you multiply the data you have in addition of your millions of pixels that you already have before so it's really extracting in the end the expert knowledge so what's the cell? What tissue regions do we have? What are the true phenotypes? So for instance, if we think of high dimensional data and co-localization, so we can have the same marker staining the same cell type in the same compartment even, so like the membrane. And then the question is, or the challenge is to really have a very accurate segmentation, but then also to really have a very accurate classification. So is this sig signal really coming from this cell or the adjacent cell? Because this can really change the whole view of the scene. So do I 
have a double positive cell or is it two adjacent cells with different mm -hmm. positivity? We try to apply the latest computer vision approaches, which in the end is deep learning or often also referred to as AI, to first get a very accurate segmentation and then also with an independent deep learning model or classification approach to then also classify the positivity for the different markers. And that means for one data set, let's say we often work with eight plexes because that's like a sweet spot between dimensionality and channels, but then also how to handle and how quickly to analyze. And there we apply more than 10 deep learning models to do our full image analysis part, which then ends with a huge list or database of cells where every cell knows where it is, what neighbors it has, for which markers it was classified positive, and also some measurements like size and marker intensity and so on. And then you get really a huge amount of data. And then the next step is to make sense out of this data and to simplify. And that's really, that depends a lot on the scientific question, how you move forward there. And, mm -hmm. and we like to have a two-step approach that we first do this very standardized analysis, get all the cells, classify them and segment them as good as possible, find the tumor and stroma regions, for instance, if we work in cancer, and then have a very standardized format where we then have this data. And so we like to be as tool agnostic as possible. And that's maybe something we can sneak in. So what this field really needs is like more common data formats. Start with the, but then of course it continues also with the image analysis data because depending on the tool you have, depending on the in-house custom software you wrote, you end up with a different format, which then means like community sharing of tools and having standards is really a problem. And just having, for instance, one image standard would be already a huge leap forward. And we, for instance, try to always then do our projects in one and the same open standard, the OMI standard. But again, that's one approach. But reality is there's a huge multi of different standards. And again, the same would also apply to cell format. So if we, similar to sequencing, would then converge to one standard to have this image analysis data output, then also the following analysis, similar to the single cell sequencing analysis, would be way more standardized and then also increase the whole community speed. I think a super important and super simple thing you said making sense out of this data because having even the best perfect classification segmentation of the image doesn't guarantee that you will make sense of this data and you can still make a mistake and have the wrong conclusions even if your image analysis is perfect so i think you guys have the advantage of having the two-step approach within one team and taking the scientific question into consideration so that you actually answer the question and your the whole analysis analysis is tailored to answering this very question. This probably influences how you design it. And another thing that it is done in a standardized way. This cannot be emphasized enough. This is happening, I think, across the whole field of digital pathology from images through annotation formats, through the output formats. I think everybody, because we're still, probably for us, it doesn't feel like it's a new field anymore because we spent already several years working in this field. But in the grand scheme of things, it's always being compared to radiology. Radiology is more mature and we are still in the kind of freestyle phase. So every effort to make it less freestyle helps the new people coming and capitalizing on this knowledge and they don't have to reinvent the wheel. So I'm super happy to hear that you guys are definitely embracing that. Thanks so much for joining me today and thanks so much for giving us the information and the things people need to be aware of when doing image analysis. My 
my key takeaway, image data science team is the way to go because then you have both the image analysis, the pathology and the data interpretation expertise in one place. Those people can work together and give you the valuable insights that answer your question. That's correct. It's really about having a multifunctional team where you have the different expertise because that's what you need. You need the computer science expert, you need the translational expert, the pathologist and like the tissue expert, then also people that understand how are these, let's say, samples prepared and scanned and so what are the different sources of artifacts and they're having, let's say, an approach where you bring them all to one table, I think is key. And uh, yeah, we try to do that and that's how I encourage everyone who wants to work on this field. So really get all the different expertise at one table because you need them. Thank you so much. You have a great day. Thank you. It was really a pleasure. Thank you so much for staying till the end. It means you are a real digital pathology trailblazer. So if you're doing any type of multiplex imaging or are simply interested in multiplex and digital pathology, I have something for you. It's the Digital Pathology Starter Kit. Go ahead, click the link below and claim your starter kit. This is going to give you a fantastic overview of what digital pathology is and how you can get involved right now. And I talk to you in the next episode.